Hey Gems, welcome back to the show. Let's not waste any time and jump straight into the topic. Welcome to the show. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi everyone, I'm Shri. Um, I live in Northern California. I'm a, a real estate investor full-time, um, but in my past life <laughs> in corporate, um, I, I was trained as an economist and statistician. I worked in data science, uh, building credit scores for the banking industry for a long period of time. Uh, while doing that, my husband and I did not have kids and we had uh, reasonably good incomes. Um, and we started to save our money and started investing in real estate. Um, after six years later, um, I got to a point where I had two kids and um, I found myself liking real estate more and uh, the business was less so about trading time for money. And so I was able to transition out of my full-time career into real estate full-time. And now my husband and I uh, work together on um, investing our own money as well as bringing in investors uh, to invest with us on apartment buildings, um, which turns out is a great investment. And that's exactly what we started with. And we built our own portfolio. And now we are bringing in investors to join us in that path. How exciting. So it sounds like, you know, you mentioned your past life, <laughs> your past life, you were doing something. I mean, I guess that would sound completely different, but I'm sure there are things from that, that profession and that work that um, you've been able to transfer your skills over into what you're doing now. And I would love to kind of explore that a little bit if you'd like, um, because I think people have a tendency to discredit themselves into being able to do something new or different because they're like, well, I don't have a real estate degree. There's not a real estate degree, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, I yeah. don't, I didn't grow up with this or I don't, I don't have this certification or whatever the case may be. And so they completely discredit their ability to do something different than they, um, than they've already been kind of like certified for. And I would love to hear for you, you know, um, how you've either used your skills from your past life to help you in real estate or how someone else might be able to transfer their skills if they're trying to transition into something I mean, that seems completely unrelated. Yeah, I think this is something, I mean, everyone struggles with, and I definitely struggled with it as well, um, is not knowing what that, you know, the uncertainty of the transition is a painful kind of discomfort <laughs> period of time in your lives. And I think uh, I've had transitions before, like even within my career. Uh, so in some ways, kind of living with that discomfort a little bit helps when you're making a bigger step. So initially, when, when my, you know, my kids were born and I was kind of debating quitting my job, I uh, actually switched uh, companies. I switched uh, the title of the job, right? I tried to do something different because I was like really kind of soul searching and figuring out what is it that I wanted to do. Um, and then after like about a year of doing that, um, I decided, you know what, I think the, the true flexibility that I'm looking for really has to come from uh, entrepreneurship in some way, shape or form. Um, and that's when I really said, you know, it's kind of sink or swim for me. <laughs> and I have made kind of hard transitions even before. But the one thing about real estate that really helped out is because apartments make income and to kind of uh, give you some more context. The last the six years that, you know, I was working um, in my last job, my, I was actively investing in uh, apartment buildings. And so what that means is my husband and I would, you know, save our money and we'd buy a small apartment. 
And um, the way commercial real estate works is kind of different from how residential real estate works uh, in the sense that residential real estate is valued based off of other properties like yours uh, that surround your your property. And so that's called comparables. But when it comes to apartments, which is considered, you know, uh, according to the banks, more of a commercial property, uh, the way it's valued is the income of the property is more important in valuing the property. So what we would do is we'd buy a small apartment, we'd renovate it, increase the income on the property, and uh, then the banks considered increased income and increase in value. So we were able to in, in a very simplified form, flip an apartment, <laughs> increase its value in a year and a half and sell it off every two years and buy bigger and bigger apartments. So that's essentially kind of the real estate side of how things work. And so when I was ready to quit my job, my apartments were already throwing out money um, that could replace my income. So it was much more comfortable for me to get to a point where I was a little bit unsure, uh, but I still knew that it's not, all is not lost if I quit my job. There was still money coming in. I love that you mentioned, you know, having to live in that discomfort a little bit, right? And so we have to get used to the idea that transitions are normal, um, regardless of whether you try to like, quote unquote, play it safe. Um, there's going to be transitions, right? A lot of people in the last year have experienced transitions that they would have not otherwise um, expected or thought would have occurred. And so transitions are a natural kind of part of life. And to be able to recognize uh, the the importance of being able to withstand the discomfort when it shows up is really key. And, and what it really sounds like is that you didn't, your transitions didn't aren't things that happened overnight. And so you were investing in the, it's called multifamily, right? Like you're, you're, you're investing before you left your job for years before you left your job. It wasn't like one day you woke up and you're like, okay, like here I go. I'm going to just jump ship and do something else without having, you know, strategized or, or planned and made sure that what you were doing was, was going to yield you results. Right. And so I think that a lot of times people will will either be in the position that they're in and not start whatever the next thing is, regardless of whether it's like, you know, perfect or, or makes full sense to them just yet. Cause I'm sure you had a lot of learning curves along the way. You had to learn a lot as you, as you were um, in the process of this. Um, and they're, they're trying to do a hard turn as opposed to like a smooth turn, if that makes any sense, you know, like you had, you took a, you took a nice smooth turn because you're at your nine to five at the same time, investing in learning and growing. And your turn was smooth that when you left, your income was already replaced by the other job, you know? And so, um, that's what sounds like it's significantly different is the, the amount of strategy and preparation, not maybe thinking that that's how you were going to do it originally. <laughs> you Maybe you didn't think that you were going to be doing it full time, but but you ended exactly. up. And, and there's a bit of an identity uh, crisis there too, is that you, you got to figure out who you are as this new person or this after the transition, who, who, really, who are you really? And to um, to let go of that judgment of yourself is a big portion because, you know, when I first transitioned, uh, I always like to tag on my old identity. <laughs> so I would always lead with my old identity. And I, what I realized is, uh, no, you got to kind of reimagine who your new identity really is and really take it on 
in order to succeed in that new path. Otherwise, you'll always think, you know, should I go back to that job? You know, there's, you know, any any little stumbling block and you'll think, oh, no, maybe I should, maybe I made the wrong choice. But uh, if you really embrace that identity and really um, see what your end goal is going to look like. So one of the things I really consciously tried to do during that initial transition phase, and it did take time. Um, to figure out even within real estate, what did I really want to do with my time um, is I, I really tried to connect with people's stories and see where I could fit into that story. So, for example, I had a, uh, a you know, a, a guy coming to my house to, you know, cut cut grass. And he one day we, we got into a conversation and he was telling me that he bought some stocks. And I was thinking, that's wonderful. You know, I mean, not a lot of people actually think of investing whatever little you know amounts of money they have but but he was ha- having this very active conversation around investing in stocks and granted I'm in Silicon Valley right I live in San Jose in California so there's some of that too um, but we got into this conversation and I was just thinking you know what if I could bring real estate uh, to this this you know this guy who was ha- I was having this conversation to because when the stock market first started it wasn't as accessible to everyone Every, people didn't have a 401k but now there's so many people all around the country that have retirement accounts and 401ks through their employer and maybe at some point apartment investing I believe will become accessible to the everyday investor to the point where he can get a monthly check from a rent of a portion of an apartment that he owns. And that story really um, made me realize that there's more to what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not just uh, here to, you know, uh, you know, build a business for myself or, uh, you know, it, 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 the scope of my work just became bigger. And that inspired me much more to do more. And so I think any kind of um, like a beacon or a story or an inspire, inspiration uh, will take you much further than um, just trying to work on the logistics of your transition. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like your, your why deepened, right? Like you deepened your why by understanding how, how it could significantly enhance not just your life, but the lives of the other people around you in different ways. If you could teach them how to do what you're doing, or if you can kind of, you know, help be a person that makes it more accessible for them um, by educating them or by, by finding a way to, um, you know, be a team in some way, shape or form. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, like, I think as humans, we don't really like to do anything that doesn't, that's not connected to some level of significance, you know? Correct. Correct. And I think, especially when, because I came, my transition came from a corporate job uh, where, you know, to some degree I had autonomy, but there was a lot of direction in terms of what I needed to do. And when you transition to something much more independent, uh, that takes a significant mindset shift. Oh yeah, you have. I mean, you have to impose the structure on yourself, and you know what I mean. Like, there's yeah, yeah. it's like parenting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to parent yourself. And actually, it's crazy because I'm, I'm, I think I'm about a month into full time entrepreneurship now. So. I'm fully experiencing the transition, like, okay, like I just get to do and I have to do, right? Like certain things to make sure that I'm progressing. But I hear what you're saying as far as like you do have to shift your mindset because what we don't realize is how used how used to a system or a structure that's imposed for us or created for us that we get. Um, and then when it's removed, what that looks like. So 
what other mindset shifts would you say had to occur for you in this process and maybe, you know, continue to occur for you as you grow and, and learn and scale your business? Yeah. Um, in terms of mindset shifts, I did have, I, I did have a, um, because this business is run by both me and my husband uh, together and we've always done it that way. And when we both had jobs, it was kind of easier because we didn't step on each other's toes, but now <laughs> doing, I'm doing this full time. He still has his job. Um, and for that reason, uh, there was a bit of a transition where we were like, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm taking these parts, you're taking these parts, but I really had to, and then I had kids in the mix too. So, and you know, if, if, if anyone has had kids, you know, it becomes a logistical nightmare when they get sick or when childcare is not available and things like that. So I really had to do a lot of um, mindset shift in terms of uh, deciding, you know, what does my work life look like in tandem with my family life? Um, and as my role as a mother, I had to let go of a lot of baggage that came with what I thought was a good mom. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that really helped uh, me, you know, uh, do more uh, on the real estate side of things. And, you know, people still ask me, it seems like you're doing a lot more than, I, you know, than we can, we can't, you know, because it's survival with, it's, it's survival mostly with two kids. So how do you get past that sort of survival mode of that early childhood age where they're so dependent on you um, uh, by putting structures in place that, that lets you allow you to step away and do your thing? Um, and I think it was a big, it was a big struggle for me. And, uh, and every time I challenged that status quo, it was a question, you know, the question would come up, you know, do I still believe I'm a good mother because, you know, my nanny took my kid to his doctor appointment, right. Or, you know, or my, uh, you know, she took them to the park instead of me, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it was a, it was a, um, it was a constant struggle and it still is, uh, to and and then to also not be resentful of my husband while I was doing all these things, right? So um, it it was a it's been a juggle and that continues to be a juggle that um, that that takes my life forward. Um, so I've outsourced a lot more. Um, I have not tried to do it all uh, because uh, that's one thing uh, that parenting has taught me is that has been very humbling. Uh, because when I was you know just me. I, there was nothing I couldn't do. I mean, I would just put everything on a to-do list and I would get it done. And uh, once I became a mom and it was so much more challenging, I felt like I was spinning my wheels a lot uh, and not getting much done. Um, so I really started to take a step back and outsource some of those tasks um, to a VA, actually. So virtual assistants are great and, um, and, and you know, hiring childcare and doing whatever I needed to do, even if, if it was net negative in the beginning. Right. So when I first quit my job, I had all these fancy ideas of watching my kids and working. And what I quickly realized, it doesn't work that way. And you do need a dedicated amount of time to work on a business that you want it to be successful. Otherwise, you can, you know, you can kind of do something on the side and then slowly transition once your kids get bigger. But I didn't want to do that. I really wanted to build a business that could sustain itself. And so um, I really had to make that trade off of I will pay for childcare in order to uh, get myself the time, buy myself the time. And also it lit a fire because now I have to make money. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because a lot of times we tend to uh, give ourselves, oh, it's the first year is going to be hard. Everyone's told me it's going to be hard. So I'll give myself a pass. But actually, if you don't give yourself a pass, uh, you you might still take a year, 
but it, it, you know, having that little fire uh, in you helps um, to get to that finish line. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because so much, so many times people are, are um, expecting not to, to do well, you know, for a portion of time. And, and sometimes if you put that fire under yourself, um, it helps you to hustle a little bit different to where, yeah, there might be a portion of times that things aren't absolutely phenomenal, but it gives you a, a different way of approaching your work that you, you grind and hustle, you know, differently because of that fire that you have um, within you. And I, I think that it sounds like the fire is also what got you going down this path. Cause if I remember correctly, you said there was kind of a trigger that um, led to wanting to be like financially free. Um, yeah. <laughs> because of your, your husband's medical condition and things like that. Yeah, 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 for sure. We should definitely talk about that. So um, when I first started on this journey, um, a, a investing journey, it, it didn't come naturally to us, right? I mean, not everyone who is working a job is suddenly thinking, I need to buy more real estate. But um, what what happened to us was my husband was working in a traveling job and um I would say a highly stressful job uh, in retrospect. <laughs> and he had to travel over the country and pitch his, you know, his own company to investors, to, you know, PR agencies, all kinds of people. And uh, during that phase, um, he got really sick one, one day, it seemed like. So we just woke up one morning on a Friday and uh, that uh, by, by afternoon, he could not walk. And he had to kind of hobble into his car and drive himself to the ER. And when he got to the ER, they told him that he had just pulled a muscle. And so we thought, oh, okay, he was just going to rest the weekend and he'll get better. But it turned out it was something much more than that. And he had a autoimmune condition where his immune system was attacking his own joints. And uh, the first question the doctor asked me when we kind of went in to get this diagnosis was, does he have disability insurance? And, and I was like, why is this relevant? And she said, well, he's going to be disabled in five years. And that really hit me hard. And it definitely hit him hard too. And uh, we couldn't believe that we found ourselves in our thirties or I think I was early thirties at that point. Uh, and with a, with a diagnosis that could, you know, mean that he was disabled forever. And, um, and, it's, and so that really triggered us to think, you know, we need to, you know, one, replace his income if he was going to be disabled and with whatever time we had. And of course, two, you know, we had to, you know, figure out what this disease was all about and get him better. So literally the weekend after I spent reading all the books and I reached out to authors and I reached out to a billion people uh, trying to see if anyone could help us. And uh, we were able to change his diet. And most autoimmune conditions do have a connection to certain, um, uh, you know, certain types of, you know, what they call lifestyle diseases. So thankfully, we were able to work hard at it. For the next two years, we kept him on a very strict diet. And he went through, uh, he did, you know, take medication as well. And we were able to get him to like 80, 90% better. And he's kind of coasted ever since. And we still keep uh, our diet in check and stresses in check in order to keep that from coming back. Um, But he's made a great recovery. And we uh, and we were, you know, the even though real estate started off as a way to replace his income, what ended up happening was that we were able to not have to need that income and we continue to work and continue to grow the real estate portfolio. Um, and uh, we are, you know, 
if, if, you know, if I can, you know, say that, say this, but uh, we are almost at the end of our journey where we, we can replace both his income and my income in the process of doing this. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, once we do that, then we are, we are comfortable and then we can do more investing as we need to do it. Um, and we were very motivated by the, what they call the fire movement. Um, have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's financial independence, retire early. This was like a big thing back in like 2010, 9, 10, I want to say. And we kind of, I got hooked into that movement and uh, we were able to, we basically downsized to a little studio, uh, a 400 square foot studio. We both lived in it for, you know, a couple of years while we saved all our money to buy our first investment property. We bought it even before we bought a house. So we were, you could tell that we were very motivated by the passive income side of things uh, with real estate, much more so than buying a house for ourselves. So that's kind of uh, the trigger for our um, financial freedom kind of uh, journey. Ooh, that is quite the story. I mean, you know, and and having a really deep uh, driving force is what has to be in place in order to do something like live in a 400 square foot apartment, right? With your partner that you love, but like, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. but- there's not enough space, <laughs> but yeah, it, it definitely, especially in a high cost of living market, uh, we did have to kind of take some extreme steps to, uh, and, and it's basically, it was a question of priority because we were spending much more money on our food because like I said, we were focused on, you know, getting him better and we were juicing and doing all these other things that, you know, cost money. And so we said, you know, housing is one thing we both don't care about that much. We don't have kids yet. So it's one thing we can't afford to downsize that would, um, would affect our ability to save much faster. Wow. Okay. So, so many people have trouble saving, right? And so you were saving for how long before you bought your first property? I would say about two, two, about two, two and a half years um, is what we say, how long it took us to save for our first property. So for two and a half years, you're watching this bank account bust at the seams and you're not going to the Maldives. Like you're not, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we didn't do any vacations. We were very focused on, uh, you know, jobs and things like that. Plus it was much harder to travel when, you know, we were trying to rehabilitate him and, you know, things like that. So we really focused mostly on getting him better um, and, uh, you know, saving our money, knowing that we were going to buy something. So how would you advise or what would you suggest for some someone who is wanting to save? Maybe they're not trying to save to buy property, but they're trying to save for an emergency fund or they're trying to save for, you know, a down payment for their own home. Um, how can they exercise better habits to help them actually hit the savings goal? Yeah. So the one thing which is really simple that my husband and I did was we tried as much to live off of one income. Um, and uh you can pick whosoever income you want to pick, but we tried really hard to live on one income. And believe it or not, we lived in uh, in, in Northern California for less than $40,000 a year uh, during that phase of our lives, right? And when I tell people now, lots of people are like, no, that's just not possible. But it was possible because our biggest expenses tend to be housing. Um, and if you can find a way to reduce that, um, that that's the key to getting um, you know, saving a good chunk of money. Yes, you can cut your Starbucks and things like that. That's for sure. But I, I 
personally think that when you're young and uh, uh, is when you get a chance to um, save on housing costs. When you have a family, it becomes harder. Um, but when you're, if you're young and you have the ability to do it or, you know, reduce costs by living with roommates or whatever it might be, uh, but do that. that. That's the biggest bang for the buck, I think, in terms of saving. Um, and the, se- the second thing I mentioned was live on the um, lower of the two incomes, if you can. Um, and then, of course, lastly is to, is to only... Uh, transfer money into your account that you're going to live off of. So what I always did for my paychecks was I had a um, a set of, you know a percentage of and if you talk to your employer most likely you'll be able to do this as well. Most employers have the ability to split your paycheck into one or two accounts, and so I always split a certain amount to an account um, where I couldn't look at it. So it, like for example, I which um, it, it was like a credit union bank that didn't even have like an online uh, account. And I was like, I'm just going to put it there. So I don't even look at it. I, I'm not tempted. The only way I could access that account is I actually had to go to a uh, actual, um, you know, branch of the bank and I had to withdraw the money. Um, there was no other way I could access it easily. So I had a certain percentage of my paycheck go to that account and the remaining becomes my, um, it becomes my living expenses. And I just forced myself to never see that money. Um, and that's a really good way of saving as well is to start to save without ever looking at how much you actually earn. Ooh, I absolutely love it. So I would love for you to let everyone know where they can, you know, learn more about what you're doing, get connected and potentially entertain the idea of learning how to invest in multifamily. And I think that um, I get a lot of questions about investing and I'm like, I am not the one. Okay. I'm learning how to invest myself, but you know, I love to connect people with other um, individuals that are doing great work and and have more know-how than I do. So where can everyone find you and learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Um, so my website is www.theshrilatagroup.com. So it's the word T-H-E-S-R-I-L-A-T-H-A, the word group, G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, my email is shri at theshrilatagroup.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram as Bay Area underscore multifamily. Um, and so if you can, you can reach out to me anywhere um, on these uh, platforms on Facebook. Um, I have a group, so you can always join the group and then kind of be a, a quiet kind of viewer of what's going on. If you want, if you're just curious about the topic, um, the group is called, uh, apartment Bay area apartment investing mastermind. And it's a way for people in kind of who live in high cost of living areas to kind of get together and figure out, um, how to buy property that, you know, investment property in these markets that are traditionally considered uh, pricey and not not a good investment. Um, but there are ways to make money even in very expensive markets. And that's really uh, where I focus in on. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your gems, telling your story and inspiring us to, you know, really get into the right mindset to be able to take ourselves seriously and hit, you know, higher financial goals. Um, I, I really just do appreciate you for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely talking to you and I wish you uh, the best going forward. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, you have a few options. 
You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it, and you'll be notified as new episodes are uploaded. You can also leave a review or send me your feedback. Doing so helps me to create content that's relevant to what you want to hear about. And last, you can share the podcast with a friend. Whether it's directly or sharing it on your social media, it helps them to know that you think that this is information that they need to hear about. Thank you.